Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. y'all yes y'all tell a friend to tell a friend that we're back we are live once again we are online it is your man dm cool and this is another edition of cool radio welcome to the show people welcome to the show uh first of all i gotta say apologies are in order apologies are in order i know i haven't recorded a podcast since november so we're at right what summer january yeah it's been three months i'm sorry y'all i'm sorry you know your boy gotta handle some life stuff so when that comes knocking i gotta answer but nonetheless, I'm happy to be recording once again. Um, and there's a lot of things that I really want to discuss, but I'm going to keep it brief on a few topics I feel as though have the utmost importance. So I just want to say that. Um, so later on in the show, we're going to be breaking down the NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, we're also going to be breaking down the uh, Hip Hop's 50th anniversary celebration that took place at the Grammys. And we're also going to be talking about the top 50 hip-hop artists of all times list that billboard and vibe collaborated on so we're going to get to all of those all right now this show is going to be different it's going to be different than what we normally do we're not going to be doing the usual segments of you know let that ish breathe or trip talk or even wanks of the week sorry guys no wanks for this week i just want to hit on those on those three main topics because i feel like those ones are the ones that i'm most eager to pontificate on with you guys and i want to know what your thoughts on when it's all said and done also you may notice something a little different if you've clicked onto this pod um within the title you have noticed that it, it says hashtag cool 10 on there and you're probably asking yourself well why does it say hashtag cool 10 on the title dm well i'm gonna tell y'all why i'm gonna tell y'all why because as of january of this year cool radio has hit the 10 year mark that's right y'all Cool Radio is on its 10th year anniversary. That's right, y'all. That's right. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. My baby is 10 years old, and my goodness, they grow up so fast. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to uh, commemorate this year or the, the anniversary mark, but just by putting hashtag cool 10 on every episode going forward for the remainder of the year because it's an important milestone. I've been chopping it up with you guys for the last 10 years. I think that's huge. I think it's super huge. Now, of course, you know, it would be dope if I could get, like, a huge production and everything in between. And who knows? Maybe sometime during the year, I may get a bunch of guests, uh, past and present, uh, who will speak on, you know, Cool Radio's 10-year anniversary. And, you know, they can speak on their first time being on the show or whatever. So, I might be able to, to get that 
patched up for you guys uh, at some point in time throughout the year as the year goes by when have you i think that'd be super cool right uh but yeah no it, it's cool that i've been doing it for for this long and it wasn't even like a plan of mine to be carrying on for this long at any capacity you know whether it's just you know grassroots level or if this you know blew up into something major or if i were to use this as a way to you know get a platform elsewhere either way i'm just cool or uh, cool yeah cool but glad that it's been going on for this long and that i've had you know like a a loyal following for this long as well so i just you know i want to thank y'all i want to thank you i want to give y'all your flowers show you guys my gratitude that you know you've been interested and engaged in listening to me rants for for this long and you know i appreciate it you know as jay-z once said could have been any anywhere in the world but you're here with me and i appreciate that so yeah, thank y'all once again. Thank y'all once again. Just wanted to get that out there. Also, I did record a pod about a few weeks ago, but I didn't upload it simply because I didn't feel like I didn't bring in enough energy or didn't bring a, bring in enough enthusiasm or pizzazz that I normally want to give y'all give you guys on top of you know the information and the logic and everything in between, right? But this episode is going to be completely different. I am well invested into the topics that I'm about to discuss with y'all. So on that note, let's get to it. First topic I want to discuss is the NBA All-Star Weekend that just passed. Uh, by the time of this recording, it's, it's, it's going to be about a week since. Um, so on that note, let's get to it. So first thing that I want to mention right off the rip, right off the rip, uh, when it comes to this year's All-Star Weekend, shout outs to the NBA. If I have to give the NBA credit for one thing out of this whole entire ordeal, shout out to the NBA for bringing on an All-Star Afrobeats lineup of Burna Boy, Thames, and Rima. They absolutely killed that halftime set they killed it it's one of the best halftime sets i've seen from nba all-star weekend in a while it's it's it was good i mean the only ones that stand out to me are the halftime sets from chance the rapper in 2020 and then the halftime set from j cole back in 2019 and you can say that was recently biased but nonetheless i enjoyed those halftime shows very much and this one this one I don't know, call me a homer because, you know, it speaks to my Ghanaian and Nigerian roots. Call me a prisoner of the moment. But, man, this was one of the most unique halftime sets that the NBA has ever done. And even in the wake of the popularity of Jamaican dancehall back in, like, the early to mid-2000s, I don't remember the NBA bringing on, like, Sean Paul or Beanie Man or anything like that the halftime sets but they got burner boy they got thames they got rima rima i wasn't even that familiar with i may have heard a song or two here and there but when i heard rima kill it i'm like yo i gotta i gotta i gotta stream his music he's dope but uh yeah no big ups to them for doing that and i love the fact that they that they brought out pascal siakam to introduce the uh the halftime set him being of cameroonian origin of course and i always found it i found that it was interesting that they always pan the camera over onto the African players who were vibing out to it. So it was Pascal, of course, with his 90s camcorder. I thought that was pretty dope. Um, Giannis and his brothers were, were jamming out to it. And Giannis had his, had his child, I think I think that's his son, uh, just jamming out to the music. Uh, I think they, they zoomed in on on uh, Joel Embiid for, for a moment, him being from Cameroon as well. Giannis being from Nigeria, of course. I thought it was, I thought it was dope. I thought it was dope. I'm like, this is... This is what the NBA needs to do more often. Like, they know that 
you know, Afrobeats is like one of the newest, hottest things to come to North America. So yeah, pump it up, milk it, milk it, get more exposure for these artists, you know? Um, I'll definitely say beyond of a shadow of a doubt that this halftime performance was way better, way better, way better than Rihanna's halftime performance. Listen, I get it, big up to Rihanna, she was performing while, while she was pregnant, I respect that, it's one of her first performances in however many years, I get it, cool, respect it, but come on, they may have had the bigger budget for, for the Super Bowl, but this one was way better, I don't care what no one tells me, that halftime show at NBA All-Star Weekend was way better. And it happened in Utah, of all places. Utah, the, the land of, 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 of polygamy and Mormons and, and Salt Lake and other things like that that don't really matter, okay? Like, I never would have expected that in Utah, of all places. Which makes me even more upset when it comes to the All-Star game that we had in Toronto back in 2016. That all we got was Sting. Sting? Sting? I was cool with the Cirque du Soleil thing to open up the show. I was cool with that. I let that one slide. I'm like, you know what? It's cool. It's cool. But Sting? Huh? Drake was hosting the entire thing the entire weekend. We couldn't get Drake to perform. We couldn't get The Weeknd to perform, who released the Starboy album later that year. I mean, frig. The Weeknd donates his singles to every other... WWE pay-per-view event that comes out, especially when it comes to WrestleMania, but we can't get him to perform at All-Star Weekend. We have to get Sting? Speaking of Canadian content, I want to give a big, big, big shout-out to Julie Black. That's another one as well. I've been waiting for years for the NBA to get black Canadian artists to perform the National Anthem. We got that the first time that I remember we got that was 2003 in Atlanta when Tamia performed the anthem. She killed it. And if I'm not mistaken, we also got Melanie Fiona to do it. Again, I could be completely wrong on that, but I feel like she did it at least for the All-Star Saturday Night festivities. But Julie Black, who is like, for in my opinion at least, I've been saying this ever since I was in like the eighth grade. But I've been saying that she's like the Mary J. Blige of Toronto. And who's obviously the godmother of R&B in Canada as a whole. In my opinion. In my opinion, at least. I am so happy that they got her to uh, perform the national anthem. And I think she did a wonderful job. She put some soul into it. As you expect from Julie Black, she did an amazing job. Amazing job. And I know there are people who are bitching about... Her changing the lyric from our home and native land to our home on native land. Like, listen, if you're bitching about that, then, like, you're complaining for the wrong reasons, all right? Like, I'm not even going to give that one too much time because it's 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 pointless. It's pointless. It's fruitless at this point. But anyways, I say all that to say shouts to Julie Black for killing it for for for, for the Canadian side of things. And shoutouts to Thames. Shoutouts to Burna Boy. Shoutouts to Rima for representing the continent and basically for representing Nigeria specifically um, when it came to their Afrobeat set. I mean, they had me vibing, man. When, when Burner Boy came on and he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. I was like, I wanted to tweet or just post something on social media so badly, but I'm like, nah, I'm in my vibe right now. I will talk about this after the fact. I'm not even, I'm not even taking my eyes off this even for a second. This is too dope for me to do that. 
But anyways, shouts to all of them. Now, let's get to the actual weekend itself, okay? Let's get to the All-Star weekend itself. So, the Rising Stars competition, I barely watched, if I'm being completely honest. I know the younger players do kind of put on, and they sometimes they like to put on a show, but they also like to get competitive as well. Um, I didn't really watch that one. Um, but good for those guys. I think it was, what's my guy's name? Jose Alvarado, who won the uh, Rising Stars MVP of, of that. I was hoping it would have been Scotty, but it's all good. It's all good. Not even mad at that. Then we had the skills competition the next night on the Saturday night. I don't mind the first half of the skills competition. I think it's cool that you, you have to go through the obstacle course with the passing and stuff like that. But then when it gets to like the shooting portion of it, and then when it gets to the passing portion of it where you're passing the balls through the, like those moving targets, I think it's a little too much. I think it was... It was okay when you just had the guys going through the obstacle course and that was it. Even sometime during the mid-20-teens when you had the big guys going up against the, the point guards, right? I thought that was cool as well. But then once they added in that passing drill and then the shooting portion of it, that's where I'm like, okay, we're doing too much now. I think I think that's just a way for them to fill in the TV time, which I understand. But then back in the day, we also had the the shooting stars competition where it was like you had your you had your NBA vet with your current NBA player and then a, and then a WNBA player as well. I thought that was cool. I think they should just bring that back instead. Instead of having like that convoluted aspect of having that passing drill and then the shooting one. And the shooting one sucks because barely any of these guys make their shots. That's the thing that sucks about it the most. Like I don't know if like these guys aren't shooters by trade, but like man, they're breaking it hard. So for me, it's just like, just get rid of that 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 portion of the skills competition altogether. Just bring it back to the old school one. Or at the very least, you can keep that first half of the portion where you have like the spinning light thingy where it's like an obstacle or whatever. That's fine. I'm cool with that. But that second half, just take that one out. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So you had that. Then you have the three-point shootout, which is always guaranteed to be fun as long as guys are, are, are hitting a hot streak because it's a competition to beat the clock to see who can hit the most threes. Um, Damian Lillard did his thing. I love the fact that he's wearing the Weber State jersey because Weber State is in Utah, uh, and that's where he went to school. So I thought that was a nice little homage to uh, where he came from as far as his uh, collegiate career. And he had Dollar on the back of it, which I thought was even more dope. Uh, so yeah, no complaints with the three point competition. I thought that was I thought that was dope. Uh, and then the dunk contest. Oh, the dunk contest. Oh my god. The discourse where it's like, oh my god, we need stars. We need stars. In the Why don't the stars be in the dunk contest anymore? They always did. They were always in the dunk contest. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. You're right. You have been, if you think that way, then I'm sorry, but you've been, you've been wearing rose-colored glasses for the better part of 20 to 30 years because the dunk contest consistently has never had a wide array of stars in the contest to begin with. Even if you're going back to the days of the age with Jordan and Neek, you still had a bunch of nobodies in there. No no disrespect, but you had a bunch of others, as Shaq would say, in that contest. Literally, I can count on one hand how many people, how, how many stars. And when I say stars, I'm talking about players who were legitimately stars at the time of them being in the contest were in the contest, all right? So here you go. In the 80s, you had Dr. J... Mind you, he was he was basically retiring at that point, so that one has an asterisk to it. But then you had Jordan and you had Neek. 
Now, when Jordan and Meek had their head-to-head battles, they were well within their superstardom. When they first competed against each other in 1985, they were like rising stars. By 87 and 88, they were stars. They were legitimate stars in the NBA. No questions asked. Then in the 90s, you had no one. You had no stars in the 90s dunk contest. Well, you had Harold Miner, Isaiah Ryder, Cedric Sabalos, um, was it was it Rick Barry? No, no, Rick Barry's the dad. It was I think it was Brett Barry actually. It was Brett Barry who was in it. You had Sean Kemp. All these guys were either rising talents or they were just general role players altogether who were athletic specialists. That was it. Which is fine. I have no issue with that. My only thing is just bring the creativity and bring the showmanship when you do it. The closest person that you had to a star during that time was Kobe Bryant. But Kobe Bryant was not a star in the league at that time. He was popular. He was popular. But he wasn't a star in terms of, of NBA metrics. The man was averaging 7.5 points per game the year that he did it. And he was coming off the bench for Eddie Jones when he was with the Lakers. That was it. He was not a star during that time. He had star potential. And he had like the it factor. But he wasn't a star in NBA standards. So all this revisionist history about Kobe being a star when he was in it. No. He was not a star at the time. He was popular. But he was not a star. Let's keep it a buck. And let's also keep it a buck that at that time. For the longest time. The 97 dunk dunk contest had the unfortunate reputation of being the worst dunk contest in history. People are so quick to forget that. But they always want to say, oh, Kobe was a star. No, 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 no. He wasn't a star during that time. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. It is what it is. He wasn't. Not at that time. And that dunk contest was so bad that we didn't even have one the following year in New York in 1998. And then we didn't have one in 1999, but we also didn't have an All-Star weekend in 1999 altogether because it was a lockout year. So that brings us to the 2000s. In the year 2000, Vince Carter. He was an instant superstar that year. Instant superstar that year. And he was also the highest uh, vote getter for the All-Star game that year. And he had a record amount of votes that year as well. Which says a lot coming from a player who played for a quote-unquote small market in Toronto. So that was a lot. That was was a lot. All right? But then we didn't have any other stars compete in the dunk contest. And when I say stars, I'm talking about stars who were stars at the time of them being in the contest. Until Dwight Howard in 2008. Dwight Howard was like one of the top five players in the league that year. Was a legitimate MVP candidate that year. And was probably on his second defensive player of the year award at that time. He was a superstar that year who competed and won the dunk contest. And then that was it. After that decade, that was it. 2010, you can make the case for Blake Griffin because he had a very similar rise to Vince where he became an instant star in his quote-unquote rookie year so and he was in the all-star game that year as well as a reserve so you have that that was 2010 and then for the rest of the decade that was it that was it from 2011 to 2019 i mean if you want you could say john wall and paul george back in 2014 where they had the teams go against the other team in the dunk off which I honestly don't even want to count that because, ill. Okay, Damian Lillard was in that as well. He was a first-time All-Star, I think, around that time as well. But I don't even want to count that, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think anyone wants to count that because that dunk contest was friggin' whack. So there's that. And then, what else did you have? What else? Or who else, rather? The closest person I can think of was, was um, Donovan Mitchell in 2018, 
But again, he wasn't a star at that time. He was a rising talent, but he wasn't a star that year. He was a rookie that year, in fact. I think that, in fact, that was the year where him and the Jazz beat the Thunder when the Thunder had Paul George, Westbrook, and Carmelo. He wasn't even an all-star that year. So I'm not even going to count that one either. So there you have it, folks. I just named, what, six people during the during the uh, the history of the 40-year the history, 40-plus-year history of the dunk contest in the NBA. You had a retiring Julius Irving. You had Michael Jordan. You had Dominique Wilkins. That was all in the 80s. Then in the 90s, you had nobody. Then in 2000s, you had Vince Carter and Dwight Howard. And then in the 2010s, you had Blake Griffin. And he was at the beginning of that decade. And since then, you haven't had any stars be in the dunk contest. So I say all that to say that we've had years where you've had players who are relatively nobodies who made a name for themselves in the dunk contest. Whether it was Aaron Gordon, whether it was Jason Richardson, Zach Levine, uh, Derek Jones Jr., Nate Robinson, they used the dunk contest as a profile builder to make a name for themselves so that going forward, you knew who they were and you keep your eye on them and you would realize that, hey, these players are more than just dunkers. They're actually pretty talented. You know, Zach Levine eventually became an all-star. He showed people that he's more than just a dunker. He can score the ball in bunches and is a very good three-point shooter. Aaron Gordon is a very good role player. Nate Robinson is a very, well, when he was in the league, was a very good off-the-bench scorer. Like, these are profile builds to, to allow players to make names for themselves. So, to me, you don't need to have the superstars in the dunk contest. You, you don't need to. If they want to participate in it, great. But it doesn't automatically guarantee that the dunk contest is going to be an instant smash. If anything, it's going to be hyped up more than ever because of your inclusion of stars. But that doesn't guarantee that they're going to give a superstar performance. Which leads us to this year's dunk contest, which I thought was pretty good. It was pretty good. I think Matt McClung, who, by the way, is a G League player. Let's keep that in mind. I mean, yes, he's on a 10-way, two-day, or 10-way, sorry, 10-day, two-way contract with the Sixers. But he's played the majority of his ball in the G League. And it took a G Leaguer to at least drum up some interest in the contest and to win the contest. And props to Trey Burke, or was it? Is it Trey Burke? I think his name was from New Orleans. Pardon me. He had a very good performance. I liked his performance. And what I liked about him and McClung was the fact that, and to be fair, uh, credit to the guy from, from the Knicks as well. They did not need more than one attempt to nail down, to nail down their dunks. They didn't. And McClung had some showmanship to his dunks. Uh, Burke had a bit of showmanship to his dunks as well. The guy from New York, he didn't have any showmanship at all, which to me is a letdown. Because to me, if you're trying to... It's one thing if you pull off an amazing dunk, but you got to sell that shit. Sell that shit to me. Beat your chest. Do a little dance after. Look into the camera and, and, and swag yourself out. Or whatever. Like, Don't be too cool for school to not show any emotion towards the amazing dunk that you just did. Sell that shit to me. That's what made that's the cherry on top for a dunk, in my opinion. Now, as for Kenya Martin Sr. or Jr. rather, his dunks would have been better if he had gotten the proper people to pass the ball to him. Like, all respect due to him bringing out his dad, which I think is special because we all know for anyone for any of us who have been watching ball for at least the last 20 years, y'all know who Kenya Martin is. Y'all know who he is. 
one of the best powered in-game power dunkers in NBA history. Why are you having him pass the ball to you? He's not a passer. His teammate Jason Kidd was. Why are you having your dad pass the ball to you? If anything, you should be jumping over your dad to do the dunk. That would have been way better. Way better. You should have had him place the ball on his head and then you jump over him and do some crazy ass dunk. That would have been lit. And Kenya Martin Sr. is like, what, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, at most? And his son looks to be about 6'5", 6'6", if I, if, I, if I had to guess. So that would have been even better right off the bounce. But nonetheless, Matt McClung put on. Every dunk he put on was a 50 in my eyes. I think Lisa Leslie robbed him of one dunk, which I don't know why she did that. That was stupid. But of course, if he was wearing the Lakers jersey, she probably would have given him a perfect 50. Freaking Laker homer. I hate the Lakers. Whatever. <laughs> that had nothing to do with anything. But um, <laughs> but no, nah, like, I think he still put on, had a great performance. And I hope going forward now, maybe this leads to a permanent contract with the Sixers for the remainder of the season. I hope it does. I hope he, he has good production off the bench for them. Um, but nonetheless, he put on. That was a great performance. That was a great performance. And that goes to show you yet again that you don't need to have superstars in the dunk contest to ensure that you're going to have a great contest. For me, I, I almost don't want to say this, but I kind of do, just so people will shut up about this forever. But I kind of hope that there's going to be one year where we actually do have a litany of stars in the dunk contest. And I hope they put on the most average dunk contest ever so that people will stop bitching and moaning and complaining about a lack of star power in the dunk contest. I just I just want there to be that one year where we get like Zion and Ja and Anthony Edwards and I don't know, John Donovan Mitchell, and they put on a piss poor or just mid dunk contest so that I can look back and be like, okay, now what? Now what? We had the stars. The stars were aligned. They were all in the contest. And they all put on average performances. For years, we were saying that this was a solution to make the dunk, con dunk contest great again. But clearly it wasn't. So now what? Now what? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I want that to happen one year so I can hear it. So I can stop hearing people bitch about it forever. That's it. That's it. That's it. So that was Saturday night. And then we have the all-star game Sunday night. And this is the crux of the conversation that I want to get to ladies and gents. The or sorry, not the dunk contest. The all-star game was average. It was average. Some people said it was a worst all-star game ever. I'd have to go back and, and look at the tape to see if that's the case. I think the one in 2021 was probably the worst one. Um, last year was fun only because of the fact that Stephen Curry was putting on an absolute masterclass of shooting. Where he was just shooting from half court and not even looking. That was so much fun. But beyond that, listen, listen, listen. Some of the players were saying that it was bad and the coaches were saying, like, the coaches have no control over it, right? But when you have the players saying that it's bad, that's when you know it's bad. But here's the thing, all right? The players are well aware that it's bad. And the players are always, 
You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say it. The players are always bitching and moaning and complaining about, oh, we need to make the All-Star game great. What do we need to do? And over the course of the last, what was it, since 2015 when they started doing the teams, like Team LeBron and Team Steph and Team Giannis and all that, the NBA, especially with Adam Silver as a commissioner, they have been bending over backwards to add incentives to make the All-Star game fun. You know, whether it's the picking of teams, which I like to actually balance everything else so it's not like on one end you have all the bigs in the West and on the other end you have all the guards in the East or all the prime talents in the West and all the rising talent in the East, for example. So I'm actually happy that they did the team thing. I think that's a good solution just to balance out the level of talent so that there's not a big disparity. But then we also added the Elam ending so that you have to, so that it's almost like you're playing to 21, so to speak. You've added the incentive of, you know, whichever team wins one quarter, they get to donate X amount of money to a charity. You've literally done everything. You've, you've even this year with the whole picking of the team captains on live television, the NBA has done everything in their power to make the All-Star game fun and exciting and exhilarating. And yet, the only year that we got a fun All-Star game, a competitive one, I should say, was in 2020 in Chicago, which I will still say to my very last breath that from Friday night to Sunday night is the greatest All-Star weekend I've ever seen in my life from top to bottom. It's the greatest All-Star weekend I've ever witnessed in my life. That was the only year where all these guys, like you you had guys like LeBron arguing with the refs near the end of the game. Like we've never, like it's been a while since we've seen that in the All-Star game. And yet the players are still moaning, but oh, we need something better. Like, listen, you can't, you can't even add in the incentive of money or anything like that because in every player's contract, depending on how your contracts are formulated and constructed, of course. But nonetheless, it states that if you make an all-star game, you get cash incentives added into your contract. You get bonuses. So it can't just be like, oh, you got to pay me more. Like, NBA players are getting paid more than they've ever been paid for in their entire lives. And now you're saying, oh, you got to pay me more? Come the fuck on. How much more money do you want? You got Ben Simmons, who's averaging 7-7-7, seven, seven, and seven, who's getting paid $35 million per year. And you're out here saying you need more money? Get the fuck out of here. Listen, everyone keeps saying, oh, well, we need to do this to make the All-Star game great. We need to do that. No, 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 no. There's no incentives. I do have one incentive, however, but it's more of a hypothetical. And it's more fantasy-based, sort of, which I'll get to in a second. But really, when it comes down to it, there is no incentive. It really comes up to the players themselves if they decide that they actually want to give a damn about playing in the All-Star game. That's what it comes down to. The players have to decide whether or not they want to give a damn about being competitive. I understand the risk of injuries. I get that. But that hasn't stopped players in the past from being competitive in All-Star games. Now, I'm not going to go and do a whole revisionist rose-colored glasses history thing and say that the All-Star game was always competitive. But we've had competitive games in the past. And not only that, but if players are willing to ball the fuck out 
during pro-am games, whether it's uh, Dickman, whether it's Drew League, whether it was Rucker Park in the past, and they're also willing to ball the hell out on their overrated and glorified LA fitness runs where they all where they all convene and schmooze together and talk about where they want to play next and all that shit. If you're willing to play hard in those games where you have a minimal amount of people watching in comparison to the All-Star game, then what's to stop you from being competitive and playing for the All-Star game? Especially when you have people shelling out thousands, thousands of dollars to buy a seat to watch this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I remember the one in Toronto, me being from Toronto, of course, and I were I was talking to people who they told me how they paid like two, three, four, five grand for a ticket. And it wasn't even like courtside or anything. It's like the 100 section or the 300 section at best. For anyone who's familiar with Scotiabank Arena, you know what I'm talking about. Or any arena in general, it doesn't really matter. But they're shelling out courtside-esque money from one game, from one game. That money could be used for a condo or a vacation or a vehicle or anything of the sort. But they're like, no, I'm never going to see this collection of talent in one place ever again in my life. I'm going to shell out this amount of money. I wouldn't even be surprised if people took out bank loans just to buy a ticket. And yet you still have these players just half-assing it. I mean, load management is already bad enough as it is. But you got you got these multimillionaires who don't give a shit to put in any effort in the All-Star game. And that's a problem. So I say there's no solution to it. There's really no solution to it if you think about it in the grand scheme of things. It all just comes down to the players. And I feel like the players are so self-entitled more than ever in any generation because of the money that they're getting. And also, and mind you, I'm not saying don't pay these players. Of course, pay them. But if you're paying them X amount of money, like that much amount of money, that generational melt, gener sorry, generational wealth esque type of money, at least give a damn to play. Play with some efforts, please. That's all I'm saying. That's all we're all saying. And I do think that there is some a minor amount of accountability to the fans. I think going forward, the fans shouldn't be investing their hard-earned money to watch this game. They shouldn't even be watching the game in general if that's the case. If players are going to continue to just half-ass it and dog-walk it. What's the point? I look back to a game like 2020 where they gave a damn. And it was the most fun I've ever had watching an All-Star game. That was a classic, if I may say so myself. The All-Star game from 2001 in Washington... When the Eastern Conference fought fought a 20-point deficit at halftime to win the game by one point on the back of Allen Iverson. Vince Carter dropped 16 in that game. Shout out to Vince. We, I mean, the All-Star game in 2003. Michael Jordan's final All-Star game. That one went to overtime. And I remember Vince Carter... Sorry, not Vince Carter. Um, Michael hit, hit a fadeaway jumper on the baseline to I think either tie no 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 to to put the to put the east up by by either one or by two and then I remember Kobe he had a free throw and I think he split a pair to have the game tied and then it went to overtime 
So it's it's very possible for players to to have an exciting all-star game, but they have to give a damn. They can't keep asking for incentive after incentive after incentive after incentive. Because at that point, you just sound spoiled and entitled. So just give a damn. How about that? So a few minutes ago, I did say that I do have one incentive that will definitely get their blood pumping as far as making the All-Star game exciting. And I think at some point this will happen because they did try this out with the with the uh, rookie sophomore game. But I think, and mind you, it would take time because we would need more players to come into the league who play at an all-star and superstar level. But I think in the next five to 10 years, providing that we have enough talent to make it happen, that if we were to have a USA versus world all-star game, that would be competitive as fuck. Because let's be honest, a lot of these American players have this self-entitlement complex when it, it comes to international players. They have this whole, you know, they're taking away our jobs mentality when it comes to the international players who are killing it. All this, you know, bad-mouthing of Giannis and of Jokic and everything and, and, and any, any other international player. Oh, they would have something to prove. They would have something to prove. Now, by that point, I would assume that LeBron would be out of the league. And probably by that point in time, Giannis and Jokic, for example, would probably be at the tail ends of their career. But you would hope that they would still be playing at an all-star level. But I think if you have a USA versus world all-star game where you had a bunch of players who originated from Serbia, Nigeria, Spain, wherever. If you have that, oh, oh, as long as these players still have that, still have that that same self-entitlement complex oh that shit would be competitive as fuck that shit would be competitive that would go down to the freaking wire so i say in the next five to ten years they should make that happen it's trending in that direction as far as the, the level of international talent that we have because at the very least you could still you could do like a starting five lineup of like let's say um Jokic. Giannis, Embiid, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Luka as your starting five, for example, against whatever starting five that, that, that America wants to do. And then as far as your reserves off the bench, I mean, we don't really have a whole lot, but you can throw Pascal Siakam in, into that mix. Um, and then any other international player currently right now who's doing the thing. But again, we don't have enough players to facilitate that. So if you had if you had that down the pipeline in the next five to 10 years, oh, it would be a ting. It would be a ting. Trust me. So, anyways, that's my breakdown of this year's NBA All-Star Weekend. What I thought of it, I thought it was okay. Um, the the All-Stars in the league, they need to get their shit together and act like they want to give a damn. Because for the past eight years, the NBA has given you incentive after incentive after, after incentive. And at that point, if it's still not good enough for you, then you're just, they're just being spoiled. You're being spoiled. You're being a spoiled, entitled brat. That's it. Players don't want to hear that, but it's truth. A lot of these players are spoiled and they're entitled and they don't want to give a damn. But they'll never say that, obviously. But what I don't want to hear them say again going forward is that, oh, we need more incentive. Shut the fuck up. 
You have more incentive than you could ever ask for. And you still don't want to put in the effort. That's on you. That's on you. I feel like Adam Silver has bent over backwards to try and make shit work. But still, it's still not good enough for them. But those are just my thoughts. What do y'all think? Either way, let me know and uh, share your thoughts. Alright, y'all. Let's get into the second topic of the day. And man, I am hungry as hell right now. I just realized I haven't had lunch today. Uh, it's like almost four o'clock right now. Um, okay, so let's let's get to the next topic. All right, while while the juice is still flowing and everything in between, let's talk about the fifty-year anniversary of hip hop celebration that took place at the Grammys a couple weeks ago. All right, so I'll be the first to tell you guys I didn't watch it. I did not watch it live, and I didn't watch it when there was a clip post of it on YouTube, and it wasn't really the greatest quality. Maybe not want to watch it if I'm being completely honest. Um, but what I will speak on is the, the gesture of it and what this really means and everything in between going forward. So when it comes to the gesture of it, I respect it. I respect it mainly because of the fact that when hip hop and rap music specifically became a Grammy category back in 1991, we went from boycotting the Grammys because they refused to televise the presentation of the Rap Grammy Award to almost 30 years later, or over 30 years later, I should say, to celebrating its 50th anniversary. So I think that's a win. I think just out of the gesture and the respect factor, that's a win. I respect the hell out of that. There are a list of artists who were present. It was Jay-Z, LL Cool J, Method Man. I thought it was dope that you had so many different generations of hip-hop sharing the stage all at once in one big giant cypher from what I was told and the screenshots and the images I saw. So I thought that was pretty dope. Very iconic, if you will. That being said, however, and I hate to be the Debbie Downer in, in all of this, But when it comes to the Grammys, and we know this, this is historical, but when it comes to the Grammys and their their treatment of rappers and hip-hop artists, while they do give us, you know, the Grammy category awards and everything like that, there have been years where they've given it to the wrong artist, Cough Cough, Macklemore. It should have been Kendrick Lamar for Good Kid Mad City, let's be honest. Uh, But I don't blame Macklemore for that, but I do blame him for posting a screenshot of his conversation Kendrick that's just your white guilt speaking like you don't need to do all that just keep keep it in house between you and him and that's it um they don't really in my opinion at least they don't see the hip-hop and the rap categories or the rappers actually I should say not the categories but they don't see them as deserving of winning the big awards like record of the year song of the year album of the year Artists of the year. Those are the big four that we that we look forward to. And every time we get an artist in that category who's nominated, whether it's Jay-Z, whether it's Kanye West, whether it's Kendrick Lamar, whether it's Drake, they never end up winning that award. Hell, I'm not even a Beyonce fan. And I think it's very shocking that she's yet to win Album of the Year award. That, to me, is weird. 
with the with the amount of fans that she has and the music that she's been putting out since the Destiny's Child era, you would think at the very least that she would have one album of the year Grammy under her belt. That is weird. And with her crossover success and everything, that's weird. And that's an objective take for me. But yeah, I mean, there have been so many artists in in rap that have yet to win that album of the year category or that song of the year or that record of the year or that artist of the year category. And to me, it's bonkers. But yet, they will ask rappers to come out and perform every year for them so that they can jump up their ratings and stuff like that. Because they know that, like the Oscars, not a lot of people are tuning into the Grammys anymore, right? Because it's the same old song and dance. It's the same old political thing where it's like, hey, if you rub shoulders with me, then I'll make sure you get this award. Or it's the virtue signaling where it's like, hey, guys, let's save the trees. It's like, we didn't come here for that. We didn't come here for that. I remember when, what was it, two years ago that they got Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion to perform WAP? Why on earth would you get them to perform that song at the Grammys of all places? If it's the AMAs, sure, makes sense. If it's Billboard Music Awards, sure. If it's the MTV VMAs, sure. If it's the BET Hip Hop Awards, hell yeah, makes sense. Hell, even if it's the BET Awards, I can see them doing that. Now, NAACP, I don't know about that. That one's more for like the 40 and over crowd and from what I've seen. But the other, the other aforementioned award shows, sure, I can see that. But the Grammys? The Grammys is known for being posh and black tie event, very akin to the Oscars. So I understand why they would have that logically. But of course, the main reason is because, A, they're in a pandemic. So the ratings are already, already going to go down regardless. And B, they knew that to drum up conversation and to drum up, um, to drum up, uh, what's the word I was looking for? Not like likes, retweets and stuff like that. Clicks, views. A, basically, it's a social media term that I'm trying to think of right now. But basically... Just to jump some sort of interest and attention and hits and everything in between. Of course, they're going to get the most controversial record of the pandemic and have it being performed at the Grammys of all places. That to me was just the most thirstiest thing I've seen from the Grammys. So you'll have our rappers perform at your event to get your ratings up, but you're not going to have them win the big awards, which to me... Makes no sense, and it also lets me know that the Grammy still has a lot of work to do. Now, don't get me wrong, big up to acts like Silk Sonic and Bruno Mars and other artists who have won Album of the Year. Adele, all those people who have won Album of the Year or Song of the Year or any of the big four awards that I just mentioned. But the fact that you've yet to have a rapper win that award, despite the fact that you've basically begged and pleaded with them to perform at your award shows to drum up your ratings to me it's a backhand slap in the face in my opinion i mean there's no reason as to why kendrick shouldn't have won album of the year for damn way back in 2018 i believe there's no reason why jay-z couldn't have won the uh 444 album back when he did or back when he was nominated, I should say. 
I mean, there's no reason as to why Kanye West shouldn't have won the award for um, uh, back when he put out My, Be- My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. The album was amazing. And hell, while we're at it, let's talk about some of the artists in, in hip-hop history who haven't even won a Grammy yet. Snoop Dogg, with the amount of crossover success that he's had and the amount of times that he's topped the charts and had criti- critically favored reviews for his albums, hasn't won album of the, or, yeah, album of the year or any of the big four categories. Ice Cube. Now, mind you, he said fuck the Grammys on a numerous amount of time, so I get it, but still. Put the bias aside. He should be in contention for some of those awards. 50 Cent. Are you kidding me? You're telling me that the run that he had from 02 to 07, you're not telling me that he didn't win any of those awards or wasn't even up for consideration? I mean... I know Jay-Z has a ton of Grammys to his name, but again, the big four. The big four. Mind you, let me reel it back a little bit because we are talking about the artists who have yet to win Grammys. So let me reel that back with that one. I'll, I'll, I'll take that one back just so I'm not off, off topic. I mean, up until, what, two years ago? Nas? You're telling me that up until 2021... So after a 30-year career of putting out classics, obviously not every album, but you get what I'm trying to say. But you mean to tell me that Nas, you give you gave Nas his first ever Grammy two years ago for best rap album? I mean, come on. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love King's Disease Part 1, and I love the entire KD series. But KD Part 1 was, and I and I really don't want this to come off as disrespect because Nas is my GOAT. He's my favorite rapper of all time. If it weren't for him, the love that I have for hip-hop and rap music would not be where it's at today. Hell, I wouldn't even have a fucking podcast for that matter. But KD1 was the weakest out of the KD series. Not his weakest album. Don't get me wrong. Not his weakest album. Nowhere near that. But you're telling me. That in 30 years, you couldn't have given him the best rap album award to any other album? Um, Illmatic, hello? Shit. It was written? His most commercially successful album to this date? You could have given it to that? What about Stillmatic? Huh? Godson? Hip hop is dead. That album dropped, drummed up more conversation than any album that year. Oh my God, what are we doing here, people? So I could go on and on with all the other names. I mean, fuck, like I I would have to like I would have to like fact check this, but I don't even think Tupac and Biggie won Grammys, and they're two of the top five greatest rappers of all time. Which we'll get to, by the way. Don't you worry about that. But you're telling me that two of the most storied rappers and arguably the two most iconic and influential rappers of all time have yet to win a Grammy? Mind you, I got to fact check that, but I'm pretty sure they haven't. Come on, guys. What are we doing? 
What are we doing? This is why I don't watch the Grammys anymore. I just don't care. So kind of to bring to reel all back in, while I do respect the sentiment of you know honoring you know past rappers and everything with their 50 year hip hop celebration, for them it was nothing more than a cash grab. And I get it, there was a center for the rappers to take part in it as well. You have a few rappers who may be coming out with an album later on in the year. You may have an artist who wants to get that chance to be on stage with so many other rappers at the same time so they can tell their kids, hey, daddy was on the rapper, with, was, 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 on, with, with, was on the stage with this rapper right here. So, you know, for posterity purposes. Maybe there's some politics behind it. Who knows? But I feel like the Grammys got to do better, man. Y'all got to do better. Do better by the culture. I mean, you have no incentive to, but still, this is, to me, it's a a backhanded compliment at best. That's how I view it. But hey, maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe I'm the old man yelling at clouds right now. But what do you guys think? Again, hit me up in in the comment section or on social media and let me know what your thoughts are on that. And the final topic of of the evening, or of the pod, I should say, because we're not doing the uh, the standard standard format, if you will. We gotta talk about this list from Billboard and Vibe. So, as you know, I think it's been at, at least a week or a couple of weeks at this point, at most, that Billboard put out a list of their top fifty greatest rappers of all time list. So, before I get into the top 20, let me just say that I have yet to look at the other 30. So, I'm not aware of who made it onto their list. But most of the chatter was surrounded was surrounded around their top 20. So, I took a screenshot of their top 20 that was posted by somebody on social media. And I'm going to go through that list from 20 to 19. Now, before, sorry, from 20 to 1, my bad. So, before I do that, let me just say that when it comes to these lists who are, that are generally made by outsiders of the culture, you're obviously going to get a result that's not going to, that's not going to go over well with you. And the reason why it won't is because of the fact that these lists are basically made for engagement purposes. Engagement. That was the word I was looking for earlier on in the broadcast. They're They're looking for engagement, all right? They want likes, they want retweets, they want people to click on their websites. It's clickbait. That's all it is, it's clickbait. I mean, 10 years ago, I think Billboard put out a list of their top rappers of the year. Of I can't remember what it was, but it was a top rappers list. And Pitbull made a list, all right? Pitbull, which all due respect to Pitbull, to me, Pitbull is a pop artist who uses elements of rap within his music, which is totally fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um... Oh, uh, my guy. What's my guy's name? Flo Rida is another person who does that. I'm totally fine with that. That's perfect. That is their lane. That's their pocket. That's where they feel naturally comfortable in. I'm good with that. But if we're talking about rap, rap music, whether it's mainstream rap or underground rap or something in between, we're here to talk about rap. Rap as your primary base with other elements added to it. That's what we're here to talk about. And a lot of these lists do that just for the shock value. I remember when MTV did their hottest, their top five hottest rappers of the year list. 
I saw who was on the list. I saw who was number one. And it made sense to me. I did not complain whatsoever. It made sense. We're not talking about who the best rappers are. We're talking about who the hottest ones are. So the ones who are currently the most relevant of that particular time frame. So when I see this list being compiled by Billboard and with associated to Vibe, I don't know how much work Vibe put into it as well in terms of the collaboration process, but also Vibe is more on the pop side of things. I look at this list and I'm like, at least from the top 20 perspective, I'll be honest with you guys. While it is for clicks and retweets and engagement in general, when I look at this top 20 list, I'm not that mad at it in terms of who is in it. So on that note, mind you, I could I, I would like to make a few changes, but on that note, let me give you guys who the top 20 rappers of all time are according to Billboard and Vibe, okay? So it goes as followed. At number 20, Big Daddy Kane. At number 19, Missy Elliott. At number 18, Ice Cube. At number 17, 50 Cent. At number 16, Scarface. 15, J. Cole. 14, LL Cool J. 13, Rakim. 12, Andre 3000. 11, Kanye West. 10, Nicki Minaj. 9, Snoop Dogg. 8, Drake. 7, Lil Wayne. 6, the Notorious B.I.G. 5. Eminem. 4. Tupac. 3. Nas. 2. Kendrick Lamar. 1. Jay-Z. So I've given you guys the top 20 according to Billboard and, and Vibe. Now, as I said before, I'm not mad uh, about who they included into their top 20. However, they do need to rearrange the hell out of this list. So, first and foremost, the first thing that stands out to me is Kendrick Lamar. Now, if you guys remember, back in my review of Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, I stated that Kendrick Lamar is already well in the conversation of being a top 15 greatest rapper of all time. Or at the very least, that we should start inserting him into that conversation. Top 20, he clears. Like, that's no... like. I'm not even questioning that. Top 15, I think he's firmly cemented within the top 15. Top 10 is where it becomes debatable, however, because if you are going to be inserted into the top 10 greatest rapper all-time list, you have to have a certain level of longevity in which you can see the fruits of your labor are paying off in terms of the influence that you've had on the culture and other rappers that have come into the game since you. And while Kendrick Lamar obviously has the talent, he has the critical acclaim, he has the commercial crossover appeal as well, number two is way too high for him. That Right now, it's it's too soon for it. Number two, first of all, putting him in the top 10 is debatable, but putting him at number two? And you guys know, Kendrick is my favorite rapper of this generation. But number two is too high. That is too high. I don't think he's there yet. And I think even he would tell you himself that he's not there yet. We need more time with his music to marinate and to digest. And also, I feel like he needs to put out more music during this time in order to elevate that name to number two. Even if you were to retire today, which rappers don't retire, let's be honest. But let's just say hypothetically that if you were to retire today, 
10 years from now, if we do see more of his influence come into the game with a lot more artists taking more artistic endeavors into their music, for example, and to kind of have that approach to their music, then we can have a conversation of at least inserting him into the top 10 and seeing how that flourishes over time. But number two is too soon. So then that leads me to number 10 being Nicki Minaj. I don't have a problem with her being in the top 20. Y'all know I'm not a Nicki Minaj fan, but top 10 is too high. I'm sorry, it's too high. You're not about to tell me that she's ranked higher than Kanye West or Missy Elliott or Scarface. No, we're not doing that. We, we are not. Hey, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. Mm -mm, nope. Nope. We're not doing that. Top 20, yes. But I'm not even sure if she cracks the top 15. Granted, she's the highest selling female rapper of all time. Granted, she has carved a lane not only for herself, but for other female rappers in the mainstream going forward since her inception back in 2009 with the likes of Cardi B, Meg Thee Stallion, Cash Doll, City Girls, you name it. But when it comes to her albums, her albums have been met with mixed critical reception. Sometimes they've been on the more positive side, sometimes they've been on the more negative side. And we also have to consider that she hasn't really put out that many albums. Now, if, you, if you're in a situation like, let's say, Kendrick, for example, where you've put out 10 albums since your debut that all met critical acclaim, like heavy critical acclaim to the point where we're debating whether or not it's a classic and they've had the commercial appeal down the road, then yeah, sure, we could put you that high. But her music doesn't have the amount of substance that would justify that. For her being in the top 20, it's her commercial appeal and the influence that has justified her being in the top 20. But if I'm being completely honest, she does not crack my top 15, nor should she crack the top 15. So for that, I say top 10 is too high for her. Now let's get to Drake and Lil Wayne for a second. I want to talk about these guys for a second. Because, now you can make an argument that Drake kind of fits into that similar category with Nicki Minaj where the critical reception of his music has been very up and down. However, because of his reign at the top of the rap game for as long as it's been, not only within the rap game as just being like the hottest rapper in the game, but him being at the very least a top five pop star in the world for the last however many years. Oh, please believe Drake has an argument to be within the top 10. He has an, he has a legitimate argument to be within the top 10. He's definitely top 15. That is no question. You can even make the argument that he's on the outside looking in of the top 10, but he does have a legitimate case to be considered top 10. I think with all that I just said with his accolades on top of the fact that he has influenced and changed the rap game in terms of how labels approach rappers, whether it be harmonizing on your own records, whether it's the fact that, that, um, what else was it? Was I gonna say? Just in terms of the way he influenced the game with a, with how a lot of rappers approach their records, even rappers in his peer group 
change the way they, they approach their style because of the fact that Drake basically, I want to say introduced singing into rap because Ja Rule was doing that way before then, but the fact that it caught on fire. J. Cole even said himself that he started singing more in his in the songs because of 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 Drake, you know? So that alone, he's easily within the top 15. And he's debatably within the top 10 because if I would put him on the lower end of the top 10, if I were to put him in the top 10, simply because of the fact that his critical reception, it, it, it wavers. It wavers. Now, Lil Wayne. Here's a controversial statement that I'm about to make to a lot of people. And I'm not even saying this just for the sake of it being a hot take, but I will say that no matter where you place Lil Wayne and Drake, I think... Well, first of all, I think seven is too high for Lil Wayne, so let me just get that out the window. But he does deserve to be top 20. But more so, I feel as though that Drake, no matter where you rank him, should be ranked higher than Lil Wayne. Let me reiterate, for the people in the back especially, especially for all the Drake haters, all the ghostwriter, all that shit. Fuck all that. Drake... No matter where you place him in any top ranking, should be placed higher than Lil Wayne. You know why? Because ever since Drake popped off of So Far Gone, a mixtape no less, mind you, he has been the talk of the town. And from the moment he put out Thank Me Later, he has been on top of the rap game in terms of popularity. Your grandmother knows who Drake is, who probably has never listened to a rap a day in her life up until Drake. That's how it's been since the beginning of Drake's rap career. When it came to the beginning of Lil Wayne's rap career, forget being the hottest rapper in the game. He wasn't even the hottest rapper in his own group. Or on his own label for that matter. He was an afterthought on Cash Money in 1998 with the Hot Boys. Juvenile was the artist that they are pushing for Cash Money. It was Juvenile, then it was BG, then it was Turk, then it was Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne was basically playing the little Bow Wow, Lil Romeo role of Cash Money. He was the baby rapper. He was the one who would appeal to all the little bubblegum backpacker kids. He was in that lane. He was that was that was his market. He was out here doing songs with Bow Wow, Sammy, and Lil Zane for the Hardball soundtrack. Y'all remember that? Ain't no fun like a game of hardball. He was, that, that was him. That was Wheezy. We didn't start paying attention to Lil Wayne until he put out the first Carter album when he put out the Go DJ record back in 2004. And Lil Wayne didn't pop off until 2006 when he did the dedication mixtape series of DJ Drama. And from, I would say, 2006 to 2012, that was the lane where Lil Wayne was arguably the hottest rapper in the game, and debatably the best rapper alive. The Carter 3 is probably his only classic album, but that album was has so much influence, for better or for worse. All these little druggy boy rappers that you see now being like, oh, my God, little Zan, those people owe their careers to Lil Wayne. They are Lil Wayne's crack babies <laughs> in every sense of the word. They are Lil Wayne's crack babies. So Lil Wayne, for better or for worse, influenced that generation of rappers. But to put him at number seven is too high. And to put him ahead of, ahead of Drake, can't do it. Can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. Granted, Lil Wayne does have one thing that Drake does not have is a classic. 
I give him that. I will give him that. But you take that aside, with the influence that Drake has had over the rap game, in terms of the not only the newer generation, but his peers, I can't say the same for Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne didn't have an influence over his peers. His peers wanted to compete with them, but it was the next generation that was influenced by him. So you couple that on top of the fact that Lil Wayne, or sorry, that Drake has been hot from the start, a la LeBron James, basically. Like, he's essentially the LeBron James of, of rap music. He's been at the top for so long. And for, and for consecutive years as well. So for that alone, with the amount of accomplishments that he's had commercially, with the most number one uh, singles and the, and the most singles to have charted on Billboard, I got, or, to, or or just on Nielsen SoundScan, I got to give that 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 edge to, to Drake. No matter where you rank Drake in this list, he is higher than Lil Wayne. I will say that confidently. Now, Kanye West being at number 11, I have an issue with. I think he should be top 10, if I'm being completely honest. Damn what I feel about his music since Jesus. He's still going strong. He's still going strong with the music. I may not like it, but he has a legion of fans that's, that love his new music. Whether it's the newer fans or the fans who grew up with him from 2004 who still want to hang on for dear life, his music is still popping. It's still popping. And the influence that he's had that basically created a lane for the likes of Drake and J. Cole and any other rapper who didn't fit that gangster mold that could be commercially successful and viable. That alone deserves a top 10 ranking, especially when you consider his first five album run in hip hop. College dropout, late registration, graduation, 808 and heartbreaks, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. What? That alone deserves a top 10 ranking. That alone deserves a, like you have the rare case where you have five commercially successful and critically acclaimed albums that's very hard to pull off in hip-hop let alone any other genre of music but we have a a, a a a selection of albums that everybody's rocking to and everyone's buying out and selling out arenas for and they're and they're critically acclaimed like to this day people still find that all five of those albums are classics you can say that eight which heartbreaks was was met with mixed responses because he, t he took a departure, pardon me, he took a departure from, from his typical sound, but that album, that album basically created a pathway for Drake, it created a pathway for Kid Cudi, even though Kid Cudi wrote the majority of that album, but nobody wants to put that out, but nonetheless, that, that moody, dreary 808 sound, Kanye paved the way for a lot of people, now mind you, I feel like Akon and T-Pain are the true pioneers of that sound, but that's another story for another day. But nonetheless, Kanye was the one who took that vehicle and went zero to 100 with that shit. So all that to say, Kanye, at the very least, should be considered top 10. If you want to keep him outside the top five, I understand that, but he should be considered a top 10 rapper of all time. The only reason why I wouldn't give him top five is because of the fact that when it comes to his rapping ability, he has the rapping ability, don't get me wrong, but the pen is typically has typically been given to songwriters. And I'm not trying to create a double standard between him and Drake because Drake has used songwriters as well. But I think because of that and because of who we normally put in the top five and because of the fact that songwriting is a huge staple in hip-hop to the point where you have to write your own 
songs, the majority of them at least, in order to be considered the greatest ever, I think that may take him out of the top five. But he should most certainly be in the top ten. Most certainly. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Andre 3000. Okay. 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 Okay, some of y'all are not going to like my answer. No, 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 no. Okay. So, here's my thoughts on Andre 3000. So, I don't need to preface this by saying, but I will anyway, because I know we're in a quick clickbait cancel culture genera generation. But just to, right off the bat, Andre 3000 is an amazing rapper. He's an amazing rapper. Amazing. We know this. No one's going to discount that. The amount of artists who have been inspired by him creatively, whether it's Kendrick Lamar, Tyler the Creator, we 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 big crit, we know we know the influence, we know this. However, I am not so sure if I want him to if I want to include him in the top twenty, and that's merely because of the fact that he's not a solo artist. He's never put out a solo album before in his career. Meanwhile, the other 19 artists that, that are in this list have, they have an entire discography of solo albums. And when it comes to making a solo album or being a solo rap artist, you have to, you have to hold down the duties of writing two to three verse long songs on a 15 to 20 song body of work. Andre has always had the pleasure of working alongside Big Boy and they themselves together created songs that had one verse per per rapper and then a bridge and then and of course your choruses and what have you. So you're not even putting in the same amount of work in comparison to your solo to your to your solo counterparts. Now granted of course Outkast put out great albums. They probably have the best five album run arguably in hip hop history if you want to compare that to Kanye West and Kendrick Lamar. But they are a duo. And for me personally, I rank groups and duos differently than I would with solo rappers. Now, if this list was the greatest rap acts of all time, then yes, that's all encompassing of duos and groups. But if you were to make a completely separate list for groups and duos, if you want to put groups and duos together just to make like a full concise list, then great, you can do that. But if you were to do that, then, then we could put in Andre 3000. But I'm not going to put in Andre 3000 as his own artist. I'm going to put him in as Outkast. Because if we're going to do this, and, you know, granted, I did not look at the, uh, the other 30 rappers on this all-time list, then what does that say about somebody like, let's say, Ghostface Killer, who is probably the most respected member of the Wu-Tang Clan who's put out eight solo albums during his career on top of being a member of a group. You know what I mean? What does that say about Q-Tip? What does that say about... What does that say about a lot, of, a lot of rap acts who are part of groups? So for me, I can't... I In good conscience, as immensely talented as immensely talented and influential he is because he's never put out a solo rap album and no I'm not counting um the the love the love below because that was a double album as part of an outcast album which included side 
one or A being the love below and the other side being speaker box. I can't put him in this list. I can't. I'm sorry. And I know it's going to piss people off, but boo fucking who? Put out a list where you want to rank your greatest uh, rap group slash duos of all time. And then we can have this conversation. But even then, it's going to be about outcast as opposed to andre now if you want to have a list of the greatest rappers of all time who are members of groups then we can have another conversation then you can pull vaults andre 3000 into the top five if you want to but to have a conversation for the greatest rappers of all time knowing what that list encompasses or just to have the general idea of what that general list will encompass especially if i'm looking at a list that has a bunch of solo rappers in it i gotta take them out i'm sorry i'm sorry i know what you want me to do but i gotta take them out i have to so there you have it folks that's what i would do um if i were to manage the top 20 list rappers of all time list whatever um my top five list in no particular order would be biggie Pac, eminem uh nas and jay-z that would be my top five all time um, my top 10, I, Snoop Dogg, I think Snoop Dogg at number nine is totally fine. That's, that's where he's ranked currently right now. I'm fine with that. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Uh, I would put Missy Elliott in my top 10 if I'm being completely honest. Um, I would put, oof, this is tough. I mean, man, this is very tough. This is very, very tough. I don't, I don't even know where I would start after that After that point. Like, the top five out of the top five, I'd probably put Snoop in at maybe like a number six or a number seven slot. Number nine is totally fine, but I would move him up a bit higher if need be. I think DMX should be in the top 20. I think that's a name that, that was egregiously omitted from the top 10. I think he should be in the top 10. Or sorry, in the top 20 at the very least. Um But yeah, I would have to sit down with this. I can't tell you right now on on air or as of this recording, rather. But yeah, that my thoughts that I just laid out, those are my thoughts on the list. That's what I would do with the list personally. But my personal top 20, I don't know who I would go with at this current moment. I would have to sit down and take some time with it. But based on what I just said in terms of my rearrangement of the list, that's what I would essentially go with going forward. And then you guys can decide where you would want to rank all those other rappers and everyone in between. But that's my list, and that's what I'm going to go with. If you guys agree, disagree, either way, hit me up on on social media and let me know what your thoughts are. But nonetheless, we've reached the end of the show. I feel like we've been recording for like an hour and a half. I don't even know how long we've been recording, but I'll find out once I edit everything and it's all said and done. But nonetheless, this is a good show. I liked it. I was passionate. You know, I wanted to give you guys that passion and everything like that because I know that's what you want from me. But I also know that you guys want me to give you the real. And like I said before, in the previous pod that I recorded that I did not air, I didn't give you that. And I and I don't ever want to give you a podcast where I'm half-assing it. And I felt like I was kind of half-assing with that one, which is why I didn't even, I didn't even bother to upload it. But this one is definitely being uploaded. If you're listening to it, then yeah, it's, it's, it's uploaded. <laughs> but anyways... Uh, that brings us to the end of our of, of our episode for this week. So I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, and again, want to thank y'all for tuning in for the last 10 years. Whether you're a new listener, 
an old listener or somewhere in between. I thank y'all for tuning in. And Cool10 will be the hashtag for the remainder of the year going forward. Um, if you guys have any ideas or if you guys have any requests as to who you want me to have on the show, who I can get on the show, let me know what those requests are and I'll try and make it happen. Um, but nonetheless, you guys can always find me on social media at DM underscore cool or cool for thought. You guys can listen to cool radio on multiple platforms, which include SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play Music. And that's about it. <laughs> so once again, it's your man DM cool. And of course, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We out of here. Peace.